right. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I know that I've had it a couple different times in my life. Have you ever felt like you were given a responsibility or a task to be fulfilled and you did not have what you needed to do it? Like, like they ask you to, to build a bridge but only give you enough resources to build half of it. I think the time that I had that sense and that feeling the most was when we had our first child. Because I was 25, we were in the hospital for two days, and the nurses did everything for us. And I don't really feel like my childhood really prepared me properly for parenting. And we, we reached this point where they began to talk about us leaving. And I was like, if we were able to do this by ourselves, then you really wouldn't have needed to be here. So I feel like us leaving is irresponsible. Like, you really can't trust me with my own child yet. And they reassured us, you know, you're going to be fine. You'll figure it out. Uh, we're going to make sure you install the car seat correctly just in case. And they're like, oh, yeah, you did that completely wrong. Let me fix it for you. And I'm like, you're not inspiring my confidence that I can pull this off when we get home. Like, like there's just a sense that this job was bigger than what my experience had prepared me for. And, and that, that feeling, that fear, that worry, that anxiety, that, that what I'm called to do, what I'm expected to do, what I'm asked to do is more than I'm able to do, a lot of times that can just freeze us in our tracks. It's like we're getting ready to apply for college, and we don't know how to fill out the forms, but we feel like we're supposed to go, go to college. We just never do it, and we miss an opportunity. Or, or there's something in the workplace, a job, a big project that's supposed to get started, but I'm not sure I can pull it off, and so things just kind of freeze, and they stay there. A conversation that's supposed to happen within the family, but I don't know how to break the ice into that conversation, and so we just ignore the problem. Or, or something that, that I'm supposed to do, but I just don't feel like I have the resources. That feeling, that sense, is really what we're going to talk into today. Because so often, God will put something on our heart, and it will feel exceedingly more than what we can do. It'll feel bigger than what we could accomplish. It'll be scary for us. And we'll just look in our hands and be like, I don't have enough to pull this off. And so we never try. So a beautiful, amazing opportunity just passes by us in our days, in our week, in our month. And we can't get it back. And I want to encourage you from Scripture that, that in these ordinary circumstances where it feels like we don't have enough, that God is still able to accomplish extraordinary things through you. Because this is just how God loves to work. He doesn't want to set you up in a situation where you just say, oh, this job is easy, I can do this on my own. God wants to show you his power at work through you in a way that when it gets finished, you and the people around you will look at it and say, that was only God. The, the way that you grew, the way that you matured, the way that you brought yourself to a place where you would be able to pull that off, I see that that was God's hand on your life and not just your own doing. And we see this in a lot of different places in Scripture, but one of the areas I want to study with you today comes from Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 3 through 7, and we'll put this on the screen as we read it. As I read it, it says, now, actually, let me pause because I want to introduce Moses. Some of you guys are familiar with Moses. Some of you guys aren't. Moses was a great Hebrew leader, but he was born during a time where the Hebrew nation was enslaved to the Egyptians. And because they, the Hebrews had grown so much, the Egyptians looked and said, well, you know what? To make sure that they don't overthrow us because there, there are so many, this next generation, we're just going to kill all the boys off. And his mother just could not allow that to happen. And so she put him in a basket, brought him down the river, where, where God set up a miracle. He, he was then adopted into Pharaoh's household. 
This child who was supposed to be put to death because of the race that he belonged to was then adopted and raised up as if he was Pharaoh's family. He was given the best education, the best circumstances, and that's how he lived his life. And he was prepared to lead. His education would be comparable to, to a Harvard PhD is the way that he'd be looked at in our culture to try to compare it. And then, but he was still a Hebrew man. And, and there came a point where he saw an Egyptian abusing someone else and he killed that Egyptian and then he went on the run for 40 years. He was out and, and it was kind of the equivalent of someone with a Harvard PhD deciding I'm going to flip burgers for the next 40 years. He went out and he shepherded cattle for 40 years. And while he was out there, he has this amazing interaction with God that you've heard about before where he, he speaks with a burning bush. But there's some pieces of this that I want to teach just so you know because it's super interesting. And then we'll get to some application portions about the way that we react to God when he speaks to us. So picking up in verse 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord. I want you to pay attention to that. Pay attention to who, who is present and speaking here because this is the interesting point of this passage. In verse 2, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of, Egypt, of my people in Egypt and heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Now the angel of the Lord, who is this person? First of all, when we see the word angel in scripture, it means a messenger. Someone who is sent with a message from the Lord. And as we see different interactions between angels throughout scripture, when we see the words angel of the Lord, this one person interacts very differently with the people that they're talking to than the other angels we see in Scripture. And so it's worthy of taking note of. One of the things that we see in Revelations chapter 22, when the Apostle John was having the, this vision of heaven, and he saw an angel, the Apostle John fell before him and began to worship, and the angel picked him up, and it was like urgent. It was like, do not worship me, because that is for God alone. And that's an interesting thing to know, that that's how the angels would react to worship, except for the angel of the Lord. There is something very specific and different about this angel because we see it's not just another angel. In Genesis 32, that's a passage where you might be familiar with, Jacob wrestled with an angel all night long. And it wasn't just an angel, it was an angel of the Lord. And the way that Jacob described it, he's, afterwards he says, I have seen God face to face. As we study Scripture, there's part of us, when we first get into studying Scripture, where we'll look at the Old Testament and we'll be like, that's the God of judgment and He's very different. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus and this God of grace. But I want to tell you, it's the same story all the way through. And throughout the Old Testament, we actually see pictures of the Trinity already happening. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, at the creation story where we see the Spirit of God hovered over the waters at the beginnings of creation. We see pictures of the Holy Spirit. We also see Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. And theologians have come to this conclusion, and they'll show you through Scripture. And I encourage you to study this through the week 
that what, what we see is that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. That, that this is him, that he was involved in creation. The book of Colossians tells us that. That, that it teaches us that nothing was created without him. It was all created for him. That God created everything through him. That in the Gospel of John chapter 1, it starts off talking about Jesus saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. That throughout the course of Scripture, Jesus has been part of the story. And in the Old Testament, the theophany, which is the, the term for an appearance of God that we see that's referred to as the angel of the Lord that is different than all the other angels, is Jesus Christ before he came in flesh. And this is, this is just an interesting th thing to study. When you look at Abraham, when he was called when he was tested by God to if he would sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, the angel of the Lord was the one who stopped him on that hill that day and said no. And there was another sacrifice that was tangled up in thorns. There was a ram whose head was caught in thorns like a crown of thorns up on that mountain that would later be referred to as Calvary. Calvary that we know is the area that Jesus was crucified in. God was writing the message of Jesus Christ all throughout the Old Testament. And even in this interaction with Moses, we see this truth that the pre-incarnate Christ was there in part of the picture. And so that's just the interesting thing for you to know as we study this passage. But so God draws Moses into this conversation, and it was a pretty ordinary day at work. I mean, he was just bringing his cattle around to where he saw as a good place for them to eat grass, and, and a cultural thing is the other shepherds of the day, they would have seen that as the mountain of God and they would have been afraid to go there. And so that's one of the reasons why there was a good place for him to bring his sheep because the other shepherds wouldn't go there. It was considered the mountain of God. And so he goes there and then God draws him in. And, and then the conversation continues into the next chapter in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. And we'll put this on the screen. It says, Then the Lord said to him, and, and, and he, God has begun to instruct him, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to free my people. I've heard their cries. And the Lord, and Moses was just saying, I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm not qualified. Who, who will I say sent me? And, and then in verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Moses' man car disappeared. I don't blame him. If a snake just showed up, I would run from it too. I don't know if I'd have the faith to pull this next part off though. And then in verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And God performed this first miracle because he wanted Moses to see, I am going to pave the way. That this isn't something that you can do because as Moses is getting this ins these instructions, he's being instructed, you're going to go and you're going to help a group of slaves overthrow the most powerful nation to date on the earth. I mean, some of the pyramids that were built in Moses' lifetime are still standing that we can go and see. They were an incredible nation for their time. And Moses is instructed, you're going to go lead a people out of that nation with a staff. How overwhelming, how underprepared. God, do you understand what you're asking me to do? And God's reply is that my power with what you have is going to be enough. I can work miracles through, through what you already have in your hand. You thought that stick was just for hitting sheep and making them go where they need to go. No, I can do much more with it. 
And I want to tell you that within our lives, when God puts a calling on your heart, and each one of us has a purpose, each one of us has a gift, each one of us has something that God desires us to accomplish in these next few months, I know that and I believe that. And God will not buy the excuse that you don't have what you need to pull it off. Because he'll look at you and say, what do you have in your hand? I can work with that. If it's your marriage that needs healing, and you say, I can't fix it, God says, I can work through you to fix it. And the thing that's missing isn't resources, it's willingness. And that's what Moses struggled with too. He had all kinds of excuses. He needed someone else to talk, to, talk for him. And he said, I, that's fine, we'll, we'll provide. And so for us, in the way that we live, that we have these ordinary days at work, and, and I love this because it just happened in the middle of, I'm just doing my normal thing. And it was like, God spoke to him that day. In the same way, man, going through the motions, I believe that in the middle of your work day, you should be able to hear from God. God is not just speaking on Sunday mornings. God is not just speaking through Pastor Paul. As you, as you seek after Him, as you study Scripture, as you listen to and sing worship music, as you pray to Him, your Heavenly Father is available and desires to speak into your life and speak into your situation and guide you through your calling. But once again, the thing that stops us from hearing that voice is a willingness to listen. We are so addicted to a stream of conversation that just keeps us from considering our life and the things that are happening and things that we should be doing. We just miss it. I mean, understand, there's a lot of entertaining things to digest, but we have to stop and hear the voice of God because our Heavenly Father wants to speak into our life. And I know that when we actually stop and listen to Him, it helps us so much. And I'll tell you, one of the first things that He's going to say is it's time to act, it's time to move, it's time to go, it's time to work on this mission and purpose. You have neighbors who need encouragement and help. You have people within your church who need encouragement and help. You have people who want to be an encouragement to you, and you need to get connected to them, but as we continue to just move in our ordinary fashion, we miss out on these extraordinary opportunities. And so, I just encourage you that, you know, an ordinary day at work can turn into the most extraordinary time where you hear from God if while you're working you just turn on Scripture and let it be read to you. you. You listen to worship music. You spend some time in prayer. And even while you're working, God will encourage you. And you know you need encouragement at work because there's co-workers, aren't there? That's right. You have people around you. You need the grace of Jesus flowing through you while you're at work. Because the, the purpose that God wants you to accomplish isn't just in your off hours, it's in that office as well. It's in your school as well. It's in the home while you're educating those kids as well. God has purposes that he wants to see happening and he's given you what you need to be successful. And, and it's just with simple things. It can happen with a stick. One of the best lessons from scripture, I'd say it's centered around a towel. Just a towel. When we look at the teaching, teachings of Jesus, when he took steps to teach us something, when, when he took actions to, to put a picture with the message that he wanted us to understand, one of the best ones happened with a towel, and it was actually connected to the Passover dinner. And this is important to realize because we miss this note, and there's a couple of cultural things that we don't even, we, at least I didn't understand about it until I really got to dive into some of the background. Uh, on the night where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, they were celebrating the Passover dinner, which is the celebration of that last plague that God had to send on Egypt so that the Pharaoh would let the people go. This connects back into what Moses did for the Hebrew nation. 
And so when they eat this Passover dinner, each piece of the dinner is a picture of what God did, the miracles that he did in freeing his people. And when they ate this dinner, they would eat it with their shoes on, with a belt tied on, and with a staff in their hand, because it needed to remind them that when God moved, when the Passover came, they had to be ready to go. And maybe this might make some more sense as you think about it, because in that culture, when they were inside, normally they'd have their shoes off. So why is Jesus just now washing their feet? Well, he's washing their feet because they all had their shoes on as part of the Passover dinner. And so Jesus then goes and says, I want to show you guys something. Because what he did in washing their feet, it wasn't just nice. It, it was awkward. I mean, if I were to stop and be like, hey, I'm going to wash your feet in the middle of the service. I know a lot of you guys would be like, you're going to touch my feet. Like, it's awkward and it's strange. It was even more so then because in that culture, it was the job of the lowest servant. It was likely that as you walked, you might have accidentally brushed up against something that was dead. And in the, the Hebrew, the Jewish culture, you would be considered unclean if you touched something that's dead. So they didn't like to wash feet. Uh, on top of all the other gross things about feet, they, they had that religious component to it. And so the lowest of the low servants would get stuck with that job. But not only that, the Hebrew servants would usually always try to push it off. If there was a Gentile servant in the house, it would always be them because it's part of their belief that they don't want to be unclean. And so the absolute lowest person, and it reminds me of this. Do you guys see this ladder over here? Um, when, when we were setting up in here, there was two rings for gymnastics work that were right in front of our screen. It was a problem. So we had to take that ladder, stick it up on that rafter. I, don't, I know there's at least one person in here who is just fine on ladders, and I'm thankful for you because he did a lot of work that day. But when we set it up, there was kind of that awkward moment of who's, who's getting sent up the ladder, <laughs> Right? And, and I'm the lead pastor, so it, you know, normally it wouldn't be me, it would be my youth pastor. Some of the youth, like, he's, he's cheaper to replace if we have to replace somebody, if we break him. I love you, Drew. We're, we're, we're not going to do that. But, but we had to climb up that ladder, and then we had to, like, untie something. And I've done some high stuff, but I'm going to tell you, like, it's comfortable until maybe about, like, right here. But when you have to get up to here... I didn't even want to look down like this while I was up here. Because this is, I, I don't even like this right now. I'm hugging this, you can see. Um, but there's a question of like, who's going to get sent up the ladder? Who's going to take the worst job? Who's going to do the thing that no one else wants to do? And Jesus' example was if you're a leader, you're the first one to go up the ladder. If you're a leader and people's feet need to be washed, you take the position of servant. And I know in every organization, in every workplace, the person who goes up the ladder is the one who's on the lowest rung of the ladder. The one who is the newest hire, the, the one who could be replaced, the, the one that everyone else pushed jobs off on. But here's the thing, Jesus said, not with you. With you, whoever is in charge does the hardest work. Whoever's in charge does the thing that no one else wants to do. Whoever's in charge, their legs shake while they climb back down the ladder. And so my question for you, in the way that you're leading your household, the way that you're leading your life, the person you are at work, are you the one who looks at it and says, I'm going to assign that job that I don't want to someone else? Or are you climbing the ladder? Because in the kingdom of God, if you want to be viewed as successful, in the kingdom of God, in God's eyes, if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, his words to you are be the one who, who will climb it. Be the one who will wash feet. It might be an ordinary day at work, 
to pawn difficult jobs off on other people, and that might be the way that the world works and the way that they lord their leadership over other people, but not with you. And I want to tell you that in the pursuit of the dream that you have, we believe in the aspect that God's hand is on our life. We don't believe that we have to position ourselves for success, but as we obey the teachings of Scripture, God will handle the results. That is what faith and faithfulness looks like. I believe God at His word, so when I follow His teaching, I believe that what He says will come true. And so I might do my work in a way that someone else might claim the credit, and, and no one else will ever know except for the person who matters the absolute most, and that's my Heavenly Father. And so I'm going to work in a way that honors Him, not in a way that puffs me up. And this is how the Christian is called to live differently, to go through their ordinary circumstances differently. And we have ordinary days at work, we have ordinary days at home, but I believe that we turn these ordinary days into extremely extraordinary circumstances, not when we do something great, but when we make a decision. The power to change the ordinary isn't just in things finally lining up to where I have all the resources that I think that I'd ever need. The power of changing our circumstances is when we make a decision of God, yes, I'm going to do it your way. And I believe that in each one of us, there is a part of us that feels vacant when God is not part of our life. There's part of us that says, I should have things right with God. I should be living His way. And there's this vacancy that only He can fill. And you can spend years trying to fill it with other things, with looking important in other people's eyes, with other pleasures, but it's going to leave you empty at the end, and eventually you'll be drawn back to this point where God will ask you, are you ready to do it my way? And the powerful point is when you learn to say yes. And Scripture teaches us that the starting point for that the starting response when we first begin to feel God drawing us to be connected with Him in a real way, not a way that I'm dragged around by other people, but in a way that I go to church because I want to worship my Heavenly Father. I live my life in a certain way because I want to worship my Heavenly Father, not because of other people's eyes. It starts when we say, I believe that you lived, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that you were risen from the grave to show you get, have victory over death and hell, and so I'm ready to receive forgiveness, and I'm ready to live for you. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And God says, Scripture says, that when we reach that point where we decide that for ourselves, God creates a new life within us, a new purpose within us, a new joy within us that leads us down a path of purpose to extraordinary things, to times where we understand, I may only have a staff in my hand, but that is all I need because I have my Heavenly Father behind me. It might just be a towel and it might be a position that I wouldn't normally want to be in, but if I am serving other people, I am serving my Heavenly Father, and so I know I'm right where I need to be. But all of that purpose, all of that accomplishment, I believe that it gets back to that decision. So right now in your life, right now in this week of your life, do you feel like you're giving God a yes? If you've been straying away from it, come back to it. If there's a purpose and a vision on your heart that you believe God is drawing you towards, we would love to pray with you. If you feel like, I have to get started in my spiritual life because I've just been disconnected for so long, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. 
This is a church where you do not need to be perfect. You do not need to have it all together. But we all want to be progressing. And just like, like this gym, I actually, I know you can't really tell, but I work out at this gym. Don't judge them by me, all right? I'm getting there. I'm getting started. But I'll tell you, when I first got here, there's this feeling of like, they said, okay, Paul, give us 20 push-ups. And I started to do push-ups, and they said, not like that. It's like, okay, all right, Paul, pick up this weight and lift this weight. Okay, I start lifting the weight. Okay, yeah, that's good, but not like that. Here, do some pull-ups, not like that. And, and each point, it was like, I'm trying, but they, they have ways they want me to do it. And I could have got prideful, and I could have got egotistical and said, you know what? You guys just want to change me too much. And it's not that they want to change me. They want to help me grow. They want me to work out in a way that I'm not going to break my, my elbows, my knees, my shoulders because I'm doing things wrong. And in the same way, I believe if you get connected to this community of people, they are going to challenge you. They are going to challenge you to grow. And it's not because you're being judged. It's because they're wanting to help you avoid the mistakes that they've already made. We want you to grow. And, and just like if you came in here and your, your lead trainer was grossly overweight, you would be like, I don't think you're the person I want to learn from. In the same way, if you came in here and all these people were grossly rude and exclusive and, and moving without grace, say, I don't want to learn from them either. And so I want to tell you that, that this is a great group to get connected to. They will challenge you, but they'll still love you and they'll be graceful, but they will push you forward because that's what we want. We want to be a people who are moving forward to make a difference in this city because God has a purpose, God has a calling, and the time is now to say yes to him. Band, will you guys come back out? I'm going to pray as we wrap this up. Father, I thank you that you modeled what love looks like, that you took a position of servant, and you said, if, if I do this, if the Lord of Lords, the, the word that was there at the beginning served other people and washed their feet, then there is no job too low for you. So, Father, give us the strength to see other people with the kind of value that you saw them with so that we could love in incredible ways, even if it feels like we have the most ordinary of circumstances. Empower us to take the steps forward that we need to take so we can honor you in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.